It's good to be with you um, again this morning. Nobody called me last week and told me not to come back, so uh, I guess we're doing okay. Um, let me mention a couple of things. I just was thinking, I mentioned last week, um, I was called to be pastor here in 1973. That was 50 years ago. If somebody would ask me in 50 years, will you be in this pulpit? I would have said, no way. And we moved here, my wife and I did, with one son. And four years later, we moved away with three children. Uh, Titus, the oldest, uh, Timothy, number two, and then my daughter, which the old story goes, I told my wife I wanted to call her second Timothy, but she said, no, there's no way you're going to do that. So her name is Sarah, and um, we were the first ones to live in the manse up here when it was built. It was built when I was here. We lived on Asheville Highway, and we had a two-church field for a while, and um, but we built the manse and moved over here. So it's uh, good to be back with you here today. Uh, let me mention too the uh, our presbytery is having a fifty-year celebration service on October the thirteenth at the Westminster Church in Kingsport, Tennessee, and we're inviting some of the founding fathers to be there. Some of the names you may not know, but. Joe Moorecraft, uh, John Sartell, Pete Hurst, Sidney Anderson, Frank Smith, and um, and me. I'm the only one still left in our presbytery who was here 50 years ago. Most others have either passed away or moved on. But we, I hope you'll hear more about that in coming days. Our uh, passage this morning is Psalm 131, a very short psalm, but as all the Psalms are, very powerful and, and full. Psalm 131, as here the reading of God's Word. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or things too difficult for me, Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let us pray. Our Father, we confess we have before us here this morning your inerrant, infallible word the way you've chosen to speak to us about the work you've done in Christ Jesus and the life that we live in him. And we pray that we might be edified and uh, encouraged here today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Somewhere along the line when I was in school as a young boy, and I was not the best student when I was a young boy, as boys sometimes tend not to be. I remember some girl in my class who always had the answer to every question. 
You know, he's always raising your hand real fast. Like, teacher, I know, I know, ask me, ask me. And I remember thinking, I hope the teacher doesn't ask me. I can do one of two things. I can try to fake it. You know, if she asked who was the first president of the United States, I could say um, Abraham Lincoln. But then I decided, well, there's no sense in faking it. I look like a fool. I'll just tell her I don't know. I don't know. That's the title of our sermon here this morning. My wife asked me what I was preaching on uh, not too long ago, and I said, well, I don't know. And she said, you don't know? You need to find out real fast. But that's the title of the sermon. Actually, I don't know. And I learned early in life, there's a lot of things I don't know. I don't know how to cook a meatloaf. If my wife were here, she could verify that. Take some hamburger and a half a, a quart of lard and put it together and cook it for two hours at 600 degrees. You know, the higher you turn the heat, the quicker it cooks. At least that's what I remember from my mathematics courses. I don't know how to drive a, um, a race car. They have the uh, Food City 500 once a year in Bristol, and uh, they don't need to let me in one of those race cars. Sometimes my wife says, I drive a little fast, and she'll say, Larry, slow down. And I slow down. I don't want to slow down, but I slow down, especially over the mountains. She'll say that to me. In Psalm 131, we have the expression of humility. We have, in essence, I don't know. Some things I just don't know. And he says in verse 1, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty. Only God knows everything. Nor do I involve myself in great matters or things too difficult for me. There's some things I cannot understand. A lot of things I cannot understand. And sometimes I just have to tell people, I don't know. <laughs> and as you grow older, as a, as a minister and pastor, the more you come to realize that that's a good answer sometimes. I don't know. I really don't know. Some matters are beyond me. I've learned how to live with those things. A great deal anyway. That I don't understand. And so, once the psalmist begins here with verse 1, he recognizes that some things are too great and too difficult for him to understand. Then he says in verse 2, Surely I have composed and quieted my soul. I've learned how to be quiet, not anxious, not stirred up, 
not fretting, not walking the floor, not losing sleep. Verse 2, like a weaned child rest against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. Like a baby feeding on his mother's milk and slowly just falling asleep. And so, most of the time, Lord, that's the way I can handle it. Because I can't understand it. And I just have to accept it. And in verse 3, O Israel, hope in the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. Faith. Faith in God. The goodness of God and the wisdom of God. There's a higher purpose for all things that we don't understand and we don't see. All things work together for good for those who love God and have been called according to His purpose. Only God knows, and you know what? He hadn't told me. Now, there are a couple of exceptions to this in the Bible where an event happens and people don't understand it and within a short amount of time or maybe a little longer amount of time, Jesus reveals the purpose. Specifically. Now, there are at least two. When Lazarus died... Mary and Martha sent for Jesus to come because they knew while he was sick they could make him well. Jesus, Lazarus is sick. You can heal him. Please come. But Jesus didn't come. He didn't come. He stayed away. And they didn't understand that. And when Christ did come, they said, Lord, he's dead. He died. If you would have been here, he would have never died. He would have lived. We don't understand why you didn't come. And we find out the answer very quickly in that incident which we would have never known. But Jesus came to raise Lazarus from the dead, that you would believe in him that sent me. That's why he died. So I could raise him from the dead. Now we don't always know why people get sick, why they die at a certain time, and we pray to Jesus for healing and it doesn't come. In this case, we know exactly why Jesus didn't come. He had greater things in mind. Resurrection from the dead in the presence of all these people and people will know that I have come from the Father and they will glorify the Father. That's why He died when He did. And that's why you responded as you did and you went through that turmoil about your brother dying. Sometimes we do know why. Or in the scriptures, we understand. Now, sometimes in real life, we try to figure it out. Why did this happen? 
Maybe 50 years later, you might figure it out. Maybe not. But we have the man, the, the second example, the man who was born blind. And his parents, no doubt, didn't understand. Why? Why us? Why our son? And people would come to them and say, well, you must have sinned. Either he sinned or his parents sinned. Somebody sinned. He's blind. And Jesus again healed the blind man. And after all these years, Jesus said he was blind so that I might come along and the works of God might be displayed in him. He was blind so that as he grew older and became a man, I would come along and I would heal him and people would see the greatness of the works of God. So sometimes we do understand. I mean, sometimes, at least in these two instances, God gave us the answer to the question of why. So sometimes we might figure it out. We might see that God used a difficult time as a blessing. But most often... Very often, we simply have to say, I don't know. When I was a pastor at Bridwell Heights Church in Kingsport, I was there 31 years. And when I first went there, a year or two being there, there was a young little girl in the church, four years old. And her mother and father called me and said she has cancer and there's nothing they can do about it. Pretty precious little girl who died of cancer at age four. And the question, of course, the, the, all, the general answer is always that all things work together for good. But the, the question is, Pastor, why? And why at four years old? And about all I can say is, I don't know. I don't know. We, we have to leave some things with God. Now they had friends, kind of like the friends of uh, the blind man's parents, who told them, this is a true story, who told them, told the mother, if you'd had more faith, your daughter wouldn't have died. If you'd had more faith, your daughter would be alive. You know, preachers don't get angry too often, but that made me angry. And I included the uh, I included something related to that in the funeral service. It's not it's not because you sinned or the little girl sinned. It's all in the providence of God. Why now? Why at four years old? Why did the prettiest little girl in the church? I don't know. I don't know. 
When I was a senior in high school, my best friend was killed in a car wreck. We graduated in June and in July he was killed. His girlfriend um, lived. She had at least a dozen surgeries. And even after she had all these surgeries, she did she never looked like she did before. Why? Why? I don't know. I don't know why now, why him. God is in control of everything, but why now, why him? I don't know. We've had COVID. You know, we hear everything about COVID. The, the judgment of God. It came from China. It came from some lab in America. It came from animals. And people ask me, what do you think, preacher? I don't know. Sometimes that's the best answer you can give. Some things are just too hard to understand or some things are beyond me. The writer of the book of Proverbs says in uh, Proverbs uh, 30, verse 18, there are three things which are too wonderful for me for which I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the middle of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. How does a snake move like it moves? All those muscles working together to move over a rock. Don't know, don't quite understand that. How does an eagle fly in the sky? You know, we fly in airplanes today. We've um, tried to capture the eagle, but we can't quite capture the eagle in the sky. Who can fly so high and so far and so quickly and land so quickly? We can't duplicate the flight of a bird. How does it happen? I don't know. So let me say this morning, if you want to be a good Presbyterian, one of the things you've got to learn is very often you have to say, I don't know. You don't have to explain everything in detail or exhaustive. We believe in the Trinity. We referred to that in the reading we had this morning. There is one God. There is God the Father, who is not God the Son or the God the Spirit. There is God the Spirit, who is not the Father nor the Spirit or the Son. And then thirdly, there's the Spirit who is not the Father nor the Son. The Father is holy God. He's not the Son or the Spirit. The Son is fully God. And the Spirit is fully God. Each one of them are fully God. But how many gods are there? 
There's one God. Don't tell me there's three gods. In our Presbyterian and PCA, you have this quietly move you, move you out of the church as an officer. Do I understand that? Somebody says, preacher, explain that to me. How can there be three persons, each equally God, and they're not each other, they're separate, but there's only one God, and my favorite answer is, I don't know. It's too high for me. The person of Christ. There's one person, and yet Christ is fully God and fully man. There's not two persons, there's two natures in one person. How can you be fully God and fully man and be one person? I don't know. That's just what the Bible teaches. And we've come to understand that after hundreds of years of trying to understand that. But the answer is basically, I don't know. I just don't know. I accept it by faith. A lot of things I accept that I don't know. And you say, preacher, you don't know much, do you? And I said, no. <laughs> we pay you to come all the way to Kingsport down here to Meadow Creek and you're telling us all these things you don't know. Yeah, that's right. That's my job. I don't know. Now, here's a big one. Calvinism. We call Calvinism. God decrees all things whatsoever comes to pass. And yet, if you sin, it's your fault, it's not God's fault. You're responsible. You can't say, God, you made me do it. No, it's your fault. It's not God's fault. You see, when there's good that happens, God gets all the glory. And there's something that bad that happens, evil, man gets all the blame. Now I can't, I can't figure that one out. I can take you to the uh, book of Acts where, you know, Peter, Peter preached on the day of uh, Pentecost and tells them that uh, what God has decreed and predestined has come to pass. Jesus has been nailed to the cross. And then he says, repent, you people who nailed him to the cross. You shouldn't have done it. And how can he say that? I don't know. <laughs> now, some people try to get around that. They don't like that. Uh, you know, there's, um, there is the uh, passage in Romans that... Uh, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated before they were born and had done any good or evil. And people say, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. And, and actually, uh, Paul goes on in Romans 9, and I'm being easy on you. 
you be glad Paul's not up here this morning. Because, <laughs> you know, that question was asked in Romans 9, uh, the older will serve the younger uh, before they were ever born. Uh, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? There is, there is no injustice with God. Sounds to me like God's not fair. God forbid that you would say that. That's the way Paul would answer. Paul wouldn't say, well, I don't know. He'd say, God forbid you'd say that. How can God be unfair? And then he goes on and talks about Pharaoh and uh, God has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. And Paul asks the rhetorical question, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? How can God hold us guilty when he's decreed everything? And I'd say, well, I don't know. Paul says this, On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? Who do you think you are? Maybe you're... Maybe you're happy Paul's not here this morning. <laughs> Who do you think you are? Now, some people try to work this all out and say, well, I know what it is. Uh, God wants people to be saved and He tries and He hopes that people by the power of their free will will give in, but ultimately it's man who makes the decision and has the power over God. I can't imagine what Paul would say to that. God forbid. You're making God less than man. You're putting man up here and God down here. As if man has more power than God. How can you say that? Well, preacher, you tell me how God can be sovereign and decree all things, and there's a number of elect that He has decreed that will come to Him, and that number cannot be increased or diminished by one person. He decreed that before the foundation of the world. And how man can be responsible for what he does. And if you do wrong, don't blame God. You blame yourself. How do you understand that? Well, you know, it's like the psalmist says, some things are too high for me. They're beyond me. But I know it gives all glory to God. I also know that the Bible says that no man cometh unto the Father except by me. And whoever comes, the Father will not Cast out. There's never been one person who ever came to Christ that Jesus said, no. Not one. You don't have to worry about the doctrine of election. You just go over here and say, Jesus says if I come, he'll accept me. And there's never been one person who was rejected. No matter how you bad you've been, what you've done, Whoever comes to me will not be rejected. That's the good news.
And when you come to Christ, you find out when you read the Bible, I would have never come unless God had not first sovereignly changed my heart and made me willing to come. And God gets all the glory. It's all by grace. So how do you square that, preacher? Well, I don't make up some new theology. I just simply say God is sovereign and man is responsible. If you sin, you know what? You feel it. <laughs> you know it was you. We're not blaming God. But God has a purpose and He has decreed all things. And how can we understand that? I don't know. The psalmist just says that some things are, are too high for me. I know where to be quiet. I know where to say I don't know. And maybe I should be like Paul and say to people, who are you? Who do you think you are? In claiming that somehow God is unfair. Repent of that belief. Change your heart. Which, by the way, is something only God can do. So my heart is not proud and my eyes are not haughty. Nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. There are some other things, the, the infinity or the eternality of God. God is eternal. God has always existed. God has always been there. There was, there was never a time when God did not exist. You can think of the biggest number in the world, and I can always add one more number to it. Infinity. Do we understand that? What is it? Math, I have a little... I don't know, circle, you know, wiggly circle, upside or sidewise eight. We don't know. Jay, uh, not Jay Rockefeller, but uh, one of the original Rockefellers was asked when he was making money, how much money is enough? I mean, you know, back when he was living, it was millions and millions and millions of dollars just piling up and piling up and piling up. There's all this money. And somebody asked him one day, how much money is enough? And the answer was one more dollar. Just one more dollar. <laughs> I don't understand infinity. I don't understand eternity. I don't understand the resurrection of the dead. I mean, I've never seen anybody resurrected from the dead. I read about it in the Bible. Science seems to question that anybody could ever be raised from the dead. But God raised Christ from the dead. He was dead. Have you ever been to a funeral and a man comes out of the casket who's been dead for three days? I preached this sermon at another church and a man came up to me afterwards and said, Preacher, I saw that one time. And I said, well, my answer to that is, I don't know. <laughs> and he was telling me that his grandfather told him they had a funeral and they had a casket and 
they thought the man was dead and all of a sudden the man rose up from the casket. You know, that's a story. I said, that's a story. I said, he said, what do you think? I said, I don't know. I think when a man's dead, he's dead. He's not coming back to life until the resurrection or Christ came back to life and a few others came back to life in the Bible. Lazarus came back to life. He was dead. The work of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus said you must be born again. And they asked him about how do you how do you be born again? And he goes on and says, Well, the 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 new birth is is kind of the work of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is like the wind. We don't know where it's going, where it's coming from. It has its own freedom in a sense. We can't predict the work of the Holy Spirit. We can't do that. I preached this great sermon, but nobody got converted that I saw. Well, I don't know what God does, what He will do. I was thinking here today, you know, you go place somewhere and you preach one sermon and the real work of God usually is done over 30, 40, 50 years. You know, I mean, that's kind of the way I've kind of decided. Maybe somebody gets converted on the spot. Maybe, uh, maybe the covenant children will take 20 years before, maybe 30 years. I don't know how the Spirit's going to work. That's not my responsibility. It blows where it will, goes where it seeks to go. God created the world out of nothing by the spoken word. I don't understand that. You know, I've, I've tried it on a few occasions when I was young. You know, you can move mountains if you have enough faith. Well, I, I remember standing in front of a mountain and telling it to move, but it, it never moved. And I remember thinking, I must not have enough faith. Now, this is a kid, 12 years old. Um, God can create the world... He did create the world with a spoken word. Out of nothing, as it says here this morning, I think. Out of nothing. Just speak and it's there. I want an ice cream cone. Just say, be there. Ice cream cone, it won't happen. I can't do that. God can. God can speak and there it is. I don't understand that. But there's a lot of things I don't understand. I don't know. I have a very optimistic, long-term view of the work of Christ in the kingdom. I share this view with men like B.B. Warfield and Charles Hodge, which some of you maybe never heard of, but they had a very long-term optimistic view of the work of God on earth before the second coming. We are to go and disciple all the nations and teach them to obey whatsoever I have taught you. And that's not just disciple a few people from the, the elect from all the nations, but to disciple all the nations who have a common language, a common border, and a common religion. 
And we are to go and disciple all the nations. And Christ is on His throne. The Holy Spirit is powerful. Why shouldn't we have a victorious view of the future? Before the second coming of Christ. Before the second coming of Christ, all the nations will flee unto Christ. That doesn't mean everybody's going to be elect in those nations, but nations as nations shall seek to structure themselves, their institutions, their governments by the word of God. And we shall see a great blessing on earth through the power of the gospel. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ will deliver up the kingdom unto the Father and the last enemy that will be conquered will be death. Death comes after Christ delivers up the kingdom on earth to His Father. The earth will be full of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I didn't make that up as in the Scriptures. The earth someday before Christ comes again will be full of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I live in great optimism. You say, well, how could you believe that? Look at America. Well, I know I don't interpret the Bible through the lens of what America is. I interpret the Bible through the means that Jesus is on His throne, He sent His Holy Spirit, and there's all power given unto the Son and unto the Spirit. That before Christ comes again, the gospel will be greatly successful. And you say, well, preacher, when is that going to happen? And you knew my answer. I don't know. 50 years? 100 years? Maybe a 1,000 years. But it's going to happen. Christ is on His throne. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. We've seen a great... If you you know you study history, you see the great advancement of the gospel and the Christian culture in the West for the last uh, what four hundred years. You need to read about a book I'm reading now about a man from India who became a Christian, and it's called the book that changed the world. An India Indian from India tells us in the book how the Bible had a great impact on India and how it impacted Europe and Great Britain and America. It went from, what, 12 believers to 120 believers to bringing down the empire of Rome. The gospel. It captured Europe. It captured Great Britain. It captured America. That's only a prelude to what we're going to see in years to come. 
There will be a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells when Christ comes again. What's heaven like? Well, I don't know, but I believe that there will be a restoration of the earth that Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, which was a restoration of creation. God made us to live on earth. And by golly, someday we're going to live on earth even after death. Without sin and Christ will be there. We're not going to be flying around in the heavens with spirits. And wings, I tell my wife, you'll be working in the roses, honey, but there'll be no thorns. What's heaven like? Well, I don't know, but I do know a few things. Thus, in conclusion, there's much we know today. We, we have God's Word. The truth, we, we have benefited by the advancements of science, medicine, um, development of the uh, machinery, and my son says air conditioning. You know the South would have never been the South without air conditioning. Think about it. You wouldn't live in Atlanta to save you. Air conditioning brought prosperity to the South. Science has advanced and will continue to advance. We ought to look forward to the advancements of science and medicine. Things will happen we, we can't imagine today and in the days to come. If we follow Christ, we believe in Him and trust in Him. But when it comes down to the bottom line, we all have to be humble. <laughs> and there are many things in life, in God's providence, in doctrine, in regard to the future. When people say, what do you think, preacher? I don't know. <laughs> A lot of things I just don't know. But I accept by faith. And it gives me a peace and a quiet spirit. Trusting in the powerful God. May God give each of us that faith in Him. To do great things. But some things we'll never understand in this life. May God give us the humility sometimes to say simply, I don't know. I'll leave that up to God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the psalmist who was a very humble man, willing to admit that some things were just too high and too great for him to understand. We pray for that kind of faith that he had, that he could rest like a baby in the lap of its mother, 
because he knew that our Lord is on his throne. He's all powerful. And whenever there is good that happens, he gets all the credit. And if evil happens, we take all the blame. Lord, we pray that we'll understand these things, become wiser in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.